1: Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today, we've got a great show lined up for you. We're speaking about a topic that, on the surface, may seem to relate just to one portion of the audience in Indian country or anywhere, because this topic today has some special relevance to women. Our guest today is speaking about secrets, tips that can empower women to have a better outlook on 2017 and beyond. Her name is Jane Zarcy. Jane, it's great to have you with us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Jane, you know, we've heard a lot about women in society of late. In fact, one of my recent guests uh, was sharing a very sad story about violence in his own home uh, where a a woman, a family member, lost her life. And uh, we hear about women being devalued. We hear about the glass ceiling. We, we hear a lot about women in culture. And in Indian country, women, um, very interesting dynamics. I can think of some of the tribes that I've been with, matriarchal tribes, where historically uh, women really were the, the key political decision makers in those tribes. And of course, that's um, not... Uh, generalizable across all of Indian country, but there's these dynamics where sometimes we talk uh, very glowing terms about women. Other times, uh, women seem to be put on a lower level. And we're seeing that uh, put a toll on some ladies in society. Am I formulating that correctly? Yes. So why is it? What's going on? Why do some women have a lower sense of self-esteem than you feel they should have?
2: Well, I was one of those women. I had a very low self-esteem, and I became a full-blown alcoholic. Wow. And in order to break out of that and to regain my self-worth, I had to look inside myself. Growing up, I put so much emphasis on external things. If I went to the right school or if I got the right job, um, that, w- that would be valuable for me in my life. And um, it was really misguided. I-, I learned later in life that... The way I feel about myself trumps everything else, trumps what other people think, and um, it really determines the trajectory of, of my life based on how I feel. That's just in my experience.
1: So what I hear you saying, Jane, is basically many of us, whether we're men or women, we base our sense of, uh, of self-value, our sense of accomplishment on how other people assess us. But you're saying that's a false way to look at things, and uh, we can look at things in such a way that we can have a positive outlook regardless of where we find ourselves.
2: Exactly. In 1905, Charles Horton came up with the Looking Glass Theory, which basically says, I am what I think you think I am. Hmm. And putting a lot of emphasis on what other people think was a huge mistake for me. And later learning that my self worth is determined by what I think of myself. Um, and I didn't learn that till later in life. So that's where my self esteem, that's how I regained my self esteem, was realizing what I thought about my life trumped what everyone else was thinking.
1: You know, it's interesting that you're mentioning this because we're, I'm really concerned about people that undervalue themselves and don't, for example, take care of their health, don't take care of their families because they end up uh, in this state of uh, kind of a downward spiral. And so I'm hearing you, Jane, you're someone who has really come out of a very dysfunctional background. You're sharing things that have made a difference for you. And yet we've had other folks on the show who said, well, what gave me self-worth was reconnecting with my tribe or my people or uh, regaining my sense of heritage. Others have told me it's connecting with a higher power. I came to believe yes. there was a creator. Now, you don't, you're not you not setting aside any of those things because you have a real interest in this whole spiritual uh, dimension to life. Am I understanding that correctly?
2: Well, yes. I, I was an alcoholic that was drinking myself to death. So in order to preclude that from happening, I had to find a power greater than alcohol. Hmm. And um, I ended up joining Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's where I found spirituality. But when I joined I thought a lot about God and I was really confused at first. I thought it's this church, is this religion? And I you know, growing up I, I was I always associated God with, with religion, with organized religion, and being able to find a higher power or a God which can be an acronym for good orderly direction um outside of religion is what helped save my life.
1: So let's talk a little bit about this this concept uh, Many people like you, historically, would say, Jane, yeah, spirituality, that's all about God, it's all about religion. But there's many other people like yourself who are saying spirituality is beyond that. You may be an atheist, and you're still a spiritual being. How can that be? Help us understand that.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's so much grander than that. Um, it basically all boils down to love. I think God is love. I think spirituality is love. And I think that we have that power, that internal power of love within all of us. But I didn't know that as a young girl. I didn't know that I didn't love myself. Because people that, I was confusing, um, real self-love would be real self-care. So if you're seeing Hmm. things like addiction or overeating or or self-destructive patterns, I, that's not authentic self-love. And I didn't know that in this self-centered world where everyone's with the selfies and selfishness. And, you know, I, I didn't realize that I didn't actually love myself. And I, I learned that later in life.
1: You know, I really appreciate what you're sharing because regardless of where my listeners are coming from and regardless of my background, as I see patients and as I deal with people in the very throes of the kind of situations that you're talking about, whether it's addiction to alcohol or other substances, whether it's just not caring for themselves, I think you're really hitting the nail on the head when you say uh, often the big problem is a person does not love themselves. They do not value themselves. And wherever that valuing comes from is something that will radically change a person's experience.
2: Yeah, and there's also the not knowing. I, I went years not knowing I didn't really love myself. There mm-hmm. was a real awakening that comes with that.
1: Well, let's come back then to the theme that you've been speaking around the, the country and beyond on, and that's these four empowering tips that are especially helping women like yourself to have a greater outlook, a more optimistic view of what 2017 and beyond hold?
2: Well, I, uh, the first one is, you know, I had to stop living in denial. A lot of us are in denial about our circumstances, and I certainly was as an active alcoholic. And, and it, was, it was very difficult to put the drink down and look at what a mess I've made of my life, but that, that's where the acceptance comes in. You can't change anything that isn't acknowledged to take an honest look at my situation and how I wasn't really caring for myself and if I really loved myself I'd be treating myself a lot better and there's so much denial that um, that we can live in when when things aren't when things are less than ideal we don't want to look at it honestly but that's where the change comes in so It's like you're drowning in quicksand. One has to first acknowledge they're drowning in the quicksand before they can conceptualize a way out of it.
1: No, I appreciate this because I've been looking a lot at um, different ways of framing the challenges that people face. One of the projects that I and and some others have been working on lately, many of our listeners realize that we recently came out with a, a new book on natural treatments for high blood pressure. Uh, We call it 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And in that book, we actually grapple with the same thing you're talking about, and that is spirituality. It's this important dimension, and yet it's hard to get a handle on. People hear this term. They don't really relate to it. And at the bottom of the foundation, really, for a healthy spirituality, we actually use a framework that's based on the Beatitudes, the blessings that uh, Jesus spoke in that Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you look at them, one of those uh, Beatitudes, I really believe, is talking about addressing denial. And it's one it's a surprising one. It it goes, uh, blessed are those that mourn. And uh, as we looked at that Beatitude, most of us try to avoid the things that make us sad, but we make a case for just exactly what you're saying, Jane, and that is if you want to address things, those sad things, those mournful things, uh, if you free yourself to mourn them, if you stop denying that they're there, that's really the beginning of a pathway to change. I really think we're saying pretty much the same thing, aren't we?
2: Absolutely. That That is the first step. You, you have to admit where you are, you know, step zero. If that's the situation, Honestly, I've made so many excuses throughout my life for my bad decisions. And when I stopped doing that, I was able to really get to work on improving my life.
1: So you're saying one of the keys is really taking responsibility.
2: Absolutely. It's not always easy, but it, it, it is key. It is key for self-improvement.
1: Now, I'm really curious about your personal story because you've been sharing bits and pieces about it. Was it actually an encounter with AA that was the turning point, or had something happened before that that made you recognize your need and actually show up in that AA meeting?
2: I was drinking 24-7 for about 10 years. I was one of those people that um, was a full-blown alcoholic and lived that way for quite some time. And then when I, when I went to AA, they first introduced me to spirituality. And I thought, oh, boy, you know, I just want to quit drinking. I don't know what all this God stuff is. But it was explained to me that I either was going to, A, drink myself to death, mm-hmm. or, B, accept spiritual help. There was no door number three. And there there is no proven cure for alcoholism. The only proven treatment is spirituality. So, therefore, I became as willing and and. and I was hungry for it, as hungry as the dying, only the dying can be, because I knew what my fatal nature was, and I knew spirituality was my only way out.
1: So you have this transformational experience. How long ago was that that you said goodbye to the alcohol?
2: Um, seven years, four months, and ten days, but who's counting? <laughs>
1: congratulations, congratulations. Thank you. So now you're sharing a message trying to help other people connect with some of those things that weren't connecting in your life, the first key, the first tip is to really uh, stop denying, to take responsibility, to deal with issues. Where do we go from there?
2: Well, that's where the hope comes in. Spirituality and, and you know, faith, I mean, it's hard to look at, at any, even religion or spirituality without looking at hope and faith. And and I was seeing other members living rewarding lives free of alcohol. And I thought maybe, just maybe there's hope for me too. And externally, everything looked bad. I was very, very sick. I was extremely poor. But hope is believing good things are going to happen when everything looks bad. And just having that hope, it, it, it just gave me a whole new lease on life, a whole new attitude. Hope is, hope is everything. Hope saved my life.
1: Wow. This is a a message that I know resonates in many places in Indian country and beyond. I can remember some years ago, Jane, uh, actually meeting with some health care workers at one of the uh, Indian Health Service facilities, and they were sharing a sad story of how a young man had been diagnosed with diabetes. And because of that diagnosis and what he had seen, among other elders in his tribe, he thought it was inevitable that he was going to end up on dialysis and having his legs amputated. It was just all connected in his mind. There was no hope. But what empowers people to change, as it does in dealing with diabetes or any other physical disease, same with uh, addictive behaviors that of course, have a physical component, very much so, is really this element of hope. We are so interested to hear more about your own life and practical messages that can make a difference for those tuning in today. We have to step away just for a moment. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're talking with Jane Zarcy. She's giving tips, empowering tips, especially for women, to actually change your outlook in 2017. And we want to hear more from Jane, but we got to step away. We will be right back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away.
0: Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this.
2: This is Betty White, I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out.
3: For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter.
2: Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim.
3: When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke.
4: If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized.
1: Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Jane Zarcy. We're speaking about a topic that, although it is especially framed for women, applies to all of us. It's a topic that is relevant in Indian country and, of course, in every demographic group that is tuning into the show today. We're speaking about empowering tips for women especially. Jane has been sharing her own story about how she came out of alcoholism and Uh, basically low self-esteem, maybe it's uh, too much to say, Jane, but almost seems like worthlessness. Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah, a lot of that. I felt um, unworthy and worthless, and then um, finding that spiritual connection of knowing that something greater than me loves me helped me regain um, my self-worth.
1: So basically, this power outside yourself, and you know, some in Indian country call it the creator, others call it the great spirit, others uh, God. Uh, others um, actually kind of run away from any of those uh, attempts to make it a personal being and talk about some kind of higher power or good. But what you're saying is you've got to find... Love, because that's what we were really created for. And I know my listeners who come from a Christian orientation, they're saying, well, I mean, that's what the Bible says. It says God is love. Uh, How how do you relate to people from all those backgrounds when you go to AA? And it sounds like when you showed up, you had, mm, is it fair to say, some bitter taste in your mouth about maybe your exposure to organized religion?
2: Absolutely, that is fair. I feel that, Religion can be very divisive, and we are all one. So I don't, I don't care what anyone calls God or love or the universe or the creator. As long as you have something that's bigger than you that you could tap into and find security there, that's the important thing.
1: Well, what's encouraging to me as a physician, I'm a clinician, so I see patients in the office. I'm always looking for things that can help patients connect with uh, with reality. And, and part of that reality is that they are of value. And from my perspective, this time in my life, I do come from a, a Christian orientation. Uh, go back earlier in my life, I would have said I was an agnostic. But that's immaterial to what we're talking about. We're talking about today people across the spectrum, whether they're traditional Native American uh, philosophy, whether they're an atheist or an agnostic, you're saying, in my own experience, the thing that changed me is realizing that I am loved and that I'm here, presumably, to love other people. Is that part of the equation, too?
2: Yeah, that was the turning point. Because you know, they kept saying things like, we'll love you until you learn to love yourself. Well, initially, I didn't know that I didn't love myself. But honestly, if I loved myself, I wouldn't be abusing my body with an obscene amount of alcohol on a daily basis. People that love really love themselves practice self-love and self-care. So that I think that's what's wrong in the world is a lot of us don't love ourselves and we don't even know it. And it's really hard to practice compassion when you don't care that much about you. I mean, how much are you going to care about the other guy when you don't give, you know, a hoot about yourself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a real natural progression when you learn and start practicing self-love to be kinder and want to help others. That was a real natural progression for me.
1: So I'm trying to make a list of these tips. You, you said you're going to give us four tips. And I know I've been asking a lot of questions, so we may be, you know, kind of a little bit out of sequence here. But the first one I heard you speak about was um, actually putting an end to denial, taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. Then we started yeah. talking about hope. Is hope actually the second point, or is that kind of a a segue to something else?
2: Hope's in everything, so let's make it the second point. Hope, I believe that hope is imperative to live a quality, a good quality of life.
1: Okay, so so we've got uh, avoiding denial, accepting responsibility. That that's a big part. But then hope, and. For someone who's listening today, and maybe they related to that story I was sharing. They just got a, a diagnosis, some kind of medical diagnosis. May not have been diabetes, maybe cancer, maybe chronic lung disease. They were just on a ventilator in the hospital. And the future is looking bleak from a human perspective. I mean, Maybe even the doctor is recommending you go on hospice. They don't even think you have six months to live. Um, how does someone have hope when their situation doesn't look all that hopeful.
2: So as long as they have some peace, it, it, it's very hopeful. As long as long It's all about how you control the inside that affects the outside. What's going on around us isn't as important as what's going on within us. So as long as that person has love and integrity and compassion in their heart, they can live a very good life, hmm. whatever time they have left, I believe.
1: Now, I appreciate you saying that because... Some of the people that have impacted me the most as a physician have been people dealing with life or death illnesses, uh, honestly, some of them dying. And their positive outlook in the midst of a very short time ahead uh, really touched me in ways that someone who was doing much better would not have impacted me. So there is something to be said about the power of our ability to help others when people might label us as being in a hopeless situation. Let me ask you this question in relation to that. Many times people look at someone who's in the throes of alcoholism as being hopeless. Did you recall people giving you that impression when you were in your, what you call, 24-7 drinking phase of your life?
2: Oh, yeah. I was one of those people. That, um, you know how when you turn the light on and the cockroaches would scatter? That's the way it was for me towards the end of my drinking. Um, nobody really wanted to be around me. Mm. And I didn't want to be around myself. It got that bad.
1: Wow. How was it that you actually showed up at AA?
2: Oh, I always like to think it was a God thing. But
0: uh-huh.
1: I
2: I knew it was the last stop in town. As much as I didn't like it, I knew that there, there was hope for me there. And, um... I, be, I, it's very commonly said, I believe God loved me to AA and
1: AA led me to God. Hmm. You know, I, I so appreciate what you're saying here, because it's that glimmer of hope that really changes everything. So these things were happening at the same time in your life or at similar times. You were coming to realize that you couldn't just deny your problem any longer. And you got this glimmer of hope at AA. It didn't sound like there was much hope in your mind, but you were still willing to step out and follow that dim light, and uh, your life ultimately was completely changed, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was, it was complete surrender. You know, it, it sounds weird, but I really surrendered to win. Yeah. That's what it felt like
1: for me. So, is surrender now going to be another one of these uh, tips for success in the future?
2: I think it can be. I, I was trying to drive the bus myself. I was trying. I really thought that I could quit drinking. You know, use my own self-will, my own intelligence, and it just failed me. You know, a lot of people think addiction is just a lack of self-will, and I believe it's nothing but a spiritual malady.
1: Huh? It's interesting you mention that because for years I, like other people, have thought that. Addiction was really part of the human condition, and that all of us are prone to certain addictions and it takes really something outside ourselves and you know I think that 's really what, in a nutshell you 've been describing as spirituality to save any of us from falling into some pit of addiction
2: self destructive behavior I, mean, I I think that i 'm a survivor of self abuse
1: mm. Jane, and we can
2: abuse ourselves in many different ways. We don't even need drugs or alcohol or food, pills. I mean, we could do it with our own thinking. We could have a self-defeating mind. When I believed that I could never quit drinking, I was 100% correct. But when I believed God could remove me from my alcoholism, he did. You will never go farther than what you believe.
1: Hmm. So this is huge, just basically being open at least at first, open to change our thoughts. Maybe that's got to take place before we even change them.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I asked how all this works. They said, how? And they said, how is an acronym for honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness? And with those three things, you can turn around the Titanic.
1: Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Mm Mm-hmm. And those were all things that you were able to embrace, even though it doesn't sound like those were things that uh, were easy for you perhaps to do at that point.
2: Yeah, but I had to have that open mind. You're not going to grow without that open mind, Mm. and that was the biggest step for me. When I learned to open up my mind, life became so much easier.
1: Now, Jane, you are not just speaking about these topics. You're not just personally encouraging people but you've also written a book that deals with some of these topics in detail. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Oh, I, I wrote a book called Love and Compassion is My Religion, a beginner's book into spirituality. Spirituality has worked wonders in my life, and I just thought, well, I, I felt compelled to share it.
1: Love and Compassion is My Religion. That's the name of the book?
2: Yes, yeah, and it's a beginner's book into spirituality. You know, when I first heard the word spirituality, it was confusing. I thought it was all woo-woo. I didn't understand it. And then, um, you know, learning about it and then knowing its power, the power that it has, and now being able to tap into that on a daily basis has been life-changing.
1: Jane, we want to hear more about your book and more about your insights, things that can turn around our life for the future. We have to step away just for a couple of minutes. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Jane Zarcy is staying by. You stay by, too. We've got some... Interesting insights, life changing insights. Don't go away. We will be right back.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673.
3: So, you want to be a hero? Here are some ways to get the job.
4: Steve!
3: Hunt down that killer shark. Yeah! or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke.
4: Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You're back with Dr. David DeRose for the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. Jane Zarcy, my guest, she's been sharing with us her amazing transformation, and if you're a person who has been dealing with addictions. Maybe you're in the throes of alcoholism or some other addictive substance. I hope that you're taking courage from what Jane has been sharing. One of the themes is hope. And hopefully you see that light at the end of the tunnel that Jane is shining. Things are not as bleak as they look. And Jane has been encouraging us to step out, to be open-minded, to look at other options. Jane, we concluded the last segment by just mentioning briefly your new book, Love and Compassion is My Religion. I understand that's available on Amazon, correct? Correct. So you can get that as a as an ebook, as a Kindle book, is it a print book as well? How how is that available?
2: It's, both. it's a hard copy on Amazon as well as a Kindle book.
1: Okay. And I guess one of the the questions is this almost sounds like the book may be somewhat autobiographical. Does it tell some of your story as well?
2: Mm-hmm. There is definitely a memoir part uh, that describes the sad shape I got in before I was willing to change my life.
1: Well, let me ask you this question because your experience, we, we were saying in the last segment that many people believe that addiction is part of the human condition. If you're not addicted to alcohol, you're going to get addicted to something else unless there's a a higher power unless there's a god a creator that that pulls you out of that uh human tendency and with that in mind your story is my story it's everyone's story even if uh alcohol has not been been our problem so here's where i'm going with with that background jane your background how you slipped in to some of the destructive patterns might be illuminating to some who are listening today. Do you mind sharing a little bit of how you got into such a desperate situation where you really felt it got down to the point where you are either going to kill yourself by drinking so much or you were going to have to get help?
2: Sure. Um, I was born and raised in Lake Forest, Illinois. It is north of Chicago. My father was a very successful member of the Chicago Board of Trade. I went to prep school. I graduated from Boston University. And I function quite well as a dependent, but um, after graduation and trying to figure out my own worth and way in the world, I got lost, and that's when I fell into substance abuse. I I didn't know what to do, and I felt insecure and scared, and, um, you know, drinking, it it all started so innocent and fun and real social, and then it got to the point after my mother died where I started self-medicating with Mm. it, and that's when things became really bad.
1: You know, your story is an interesting one, and I think it's instructive because I've had many patients over the years, they've said, well, you know, I'm just a social drinker, but that's the way you started, right?
2: Oh, yeah. It it all starts innocently, and it was real social and real fun, but by the end of my drinking, there was nothing remotely social about it. No one else was there. I prefer to drink
1: alone at the end. Mm. So tell me what you think about this. And, and this is an analogy that I sometimes use. You tell me if you think this is true. For folks that feel like they control their alcohol fine and it's not an issue, I've sometimes said it's like having a tiger in your closet. Uh, you know, it might be nice to, you know, maybe peek in there and see that tiger every now and then. But um, there's really a potential for danger if uh, challenges creep into your life. Do you think I'm being a little bit, uh, oh, too extreme in using an analogy like that?
2: No, not at all. For me personally, I I don't mess around with that. I'm too scared to reawaken the beast. But a lot of people I I socialize with, they still drink. And I could see them you know, watch the ice melt, not finish their drink, and uh, clearly they don't have an issue with it. I believe only alcoholics um, really wonder if they have an issue with it um, because normal people, I don't think, think about it the way alcoholics do. That's just my opinion.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, let's come back to the the topic at hand. You've been sharing tips with us. Uh, Your book, no doubt, has tips as well that a woman could use, a man, anybody could use, but I know you've been especially talking to women. We talked about avoiding denial, taking responsibility. We talked about hope. We talked about this concept of surrender. And it seems to me that we really haven't talked enough about surrender. What is that all about? And it really sounds, I think, to most people like uh, something that only losers do.
2: <laughs> right. Well, alcohol destroys three parts of the brain. It's basically, it gets rid of the self-preservation, self-care, short-term memory, and logical reasoning. So when I was able to put the plug in the jug for a while, logical reasoning returned. And at that juncture, I was, alcoholism is the great remover. It will first remove everything you care about before it goes in for the physical kill. So when the logical reasoning was restored, I realized that, Every time I stepped into the boxing ring with teen alcohol, I got my butt whooped every time without exception, and I was done wanting to hurt myself, and that
3: was it.
1: Hmm. So really, a lot of people, maybe they're even listening to this show today, are in dire straits, and is it fair to say they don't even realize it?
2: I didn't. Yeah, I think it's quite possible.
1: So, Jane, this really begs a really important question, and that is, is it even possible to help a person who doesn't recognize their need?
2: That's a a toughie. That that is also surrender. I am powerless over what other people do. If somebody really wants help, there's nothing wrong I can say. But if someone doesn't want the help, there's really nothing right I can say. It really comes, that willingness has to come from within. I've seen people want this for family members, and it just doesn't work that way. It has to come from the individual.
1: You know, it's it's uh, amazing that you're talking about this. It brings me back many years speaking about family members and their role in the addictive behaviors, uh, in this case of, of a spouse. So this is a woman. She sent her husband to a health center where I was working. At the time, we were running a... Residential stop smoking programs, so people that had nicotine addiction would come to our facility, and they would live with us for a week, and we'd help them go through the withdrawal, get off the nicotine, and and really uh, turn that addiction around for them. We'd spend a lot of time in uh, activities that really, to be honest with you, are a lot of lot like some of the things you're talking about, giving people more insight, helping them to have hope, helping them to have tools for success, realizing you know where the pitfalls were. Well, why you bring this story up is this particular gentleman did not want to come to our facility, but his wife so wanted him to come and whether it was a combination of nagging or pleading or whatever, he showed up there, but it was so clear to us that this guy had absolutely no motivation to quit. He, he was just there because of his wife. And nothing we could do seemed to make any difference. We'd take them out on outings. They'd be in a van. This guy's trying to jump out of the van and buy cigarettes at the gas station. So what do you think happened? As soon as he was on his way home, I think he was taking public transportation, taking a train. He was smoking before he got home. So like you said, there's got to be a change in the person's mindset, doesn't there?
2: Yeah, and sometimes that change can come through really bad consequences. People can move at the speed of pain, and when the pain gets to be too great is when people will be willing to do something about it. I mean, there's work that's involved in this. You can't just want it, or you can't just, even for people that need it, you have to be willing to put the work in, and someone else can't do that for you.
1: So let's come back to the big theme we've been talking about on this show You have a special interest in women not putting themselves down, not looking at the future as hopeless, and we've been jotting a list down, at least I have, of things that can make a difference. Uh, Stop being in denial. Take responsibility. Cultivate hope. Surrender. What other kind of things are on that tip list as far as you're concerned? Don't let
2: anybody steal your crown. Don't let anybody steal your peace. And it's so essential that we we stay strong and we stay focused and not pay any attention to so much negativity that we're bombarded with.
1: So explain this to me. Don't let anyone steal your crown. What do you mean Mm -hmm. by that?
2: Basically, not everybody is always so nice, especially if you're on social media, Um, anything like that, or possibly... Bad colleagues at work, or other other people, um, just to to feel good about yourself, and not pay too much attention to the the constant negativity we're bombarded with daily. You really have the excuse to shut that off. That's that's important.
1: So how do you shut it off? Is it by removing yourself from the situation? I mean, what's the secret? No, be- no in,
2: in in my own mind. I mean, we can control. I believe. What we want to focus on, and what we focus on magnifies in our lives. And if we're going to focus on negativity, we're not going to get very far. So I just, I don't, I, I tend to block it out.
1: So I'm thinking of the example you used about social media. If there's people that you have contact with in uh, in that virtual environment that are saying negative things about you, I could see, sure, someone could say, well, I'm not going to let that bother me. I'm just going to think about all the friends I have on social media. But someone else might be really bothered by that significant person who keeps weighing in with these negative comments, and I have to wonder are they better off just to uh you know, get rid of that Facebook account or you know, stop using Twitter? Is that an option for some people? Well,
2: it's always an option, but more importantly, not to let it in, not, not to, uh, just to let it roll off you like water on a duck's back, not to, not to internalize it so much and give it that power. We decide what power we, we want to give things, and I choose not to give negativity a lot of power. And it, it really makes a difference.
1: So it's, it's interesting because you're bringing us back, at least to the title of your book. I haven't had a chance to, to see your book, Love and Compassion is My Religion. It sounds as if in the book you're going to focus on things that are loving, things that are compassionate, and you're not going to let yourself get drug into these negative discourses, whether it's in the workplace, in the home, or whether in the society at large. Am I hearing that message coming through?
2: Absolutely. Or even on a smaller scale, if a neighbor makes you mad or picks you off, no one's going to rent a lot of space in my head rent free.
1: Tell me that again no one's going to do what with No
2: one's going to rent space in my head rent free. I'm not going to obsess about so- one about ne- negativity. I, I just, personally I don't see the need for, for that.
1: No, I I think what you're you're sharing is uh, is transformational because so many of us get so negative that we just keep uh, dragging ourselves down and I've I've seen patients that way. Every time they come into the office, another round of negativity, and it's, uh, it's no surprise that these individuals are not making progress in their lives. Well, Jane, we have got to step away, but I know you've got uh, some other great insights. We do have a final segment coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. Jane Zarcy, she's the author of the book Love and Compassion is My Religion. You can get it on Amazon, either as a Kindle e-book or as a print book. Jane is going to have more insights, though, for you in our next segment. It's coming right up after this.
3: You're listening to Dr.
0: David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You're back with Dr. David DeRose for our fourth and final segment in today's edition of American Indian Living. We've got Jane Zarcy. She's stayed by, and she's been sharing a compelling story of her own really recovery, uh, coming out of uh, serious uh, problems with alcohol, alcoholism, and how her life has just turned around. She's making a difference in the lives of many people. She's written the book Love and Compassion is My Religion, and she's been sharing with us tips on how we all can have a better outlook, especially for women. Jane, we've talked about accepting things, stop de- not being in denial, take responsibility. That was your first point. Then we went from there and we began talking about hope, how we need to cultivate hope. We need to to grab onto any glimmer of hope and, and start going forward if that's all that we've got. Then you talked with us about surrender. But I know there's a fourth tip, a fourth principle that you've been sharing. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, um, the power of forgiveness.
1: Hmm. The power of forgiveness.
2: Sad things happen to good people all the time. And carrying around that hate and resentment is too big of a burden to carry. So it, it fills your joy. So just, it, sure, maybe whatever happened to you, it was unfair. It was unjust. But what's done is done. And if you're able to forgive that and move on, your life gets so much better.
1: We talked earlier, Jane, about some of the parallels between your journey and what some of us clinicians have been doing. A co-author of mine on the 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure book is another physician and another co-author. There's three of us as a nurse practitioner. And we've been on this same journey. How do you help people? In this case, who have a chronic disease, hypertension. We're not talking about alcoholism or Uh, other things that may sap life, but we're speaking about high blood pressure. And we said, you know, the spiritual dimension needs to come up in the dialogue. And just like what you're saying, as we were looking at ways to give a list of things that contribute to a healthy spirituality, we looked at these simple words of the, the great teacher, Jesus. And one of those statements that he made was, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So we really sense the importance of what you're saying when it comes to forgiveness. How did you see this, though, play out in your own life?
2: Well, I saw myself that I was angry about things that were long gone, over and done with, and I was still carrying around that resentment. And it was feeling my joy. And life is so short. I just, I couldn't having those resentful feelings come up that I really worked hard to, to get rid of them. I believe there's good and bad in all of us and there's good and bad in the world and whatever's going to excel is what you feed. So I, I just, um I've been starving the negativity and the bad feelings and I've been feeding the good ones and it seems to be working for me.
1: So be real practical with us, this, this starving the negative feelings and and uh, forgiveness, how do you practically do this? Someone's really hurt you. They've really done something that objectively anyone would say was wrong. How, how do you put that into practice, the forgiveness element?
3: Well,
2: we all make mistakes. We've all been forgiven for something. And I, I think it's our, our duty to forgive others, and it, it, for them and for us. You know, Maya Angelou says forgiveness is a tender look that becomes familiar. Sometimes it's practice. You know, sometimes something so horrible happens, you can't forgive it overnight. But you can start looking at it with new eyes, and then that resentment will go away.
1: So does forgiveness, in your understanding of the concept, does it require that you reach out to the person that harmed you, or is it more an internal decision that you make where you're not going to wish bad or or hope for justice to be done in the situation?
2: What's really worked for me the best is somebody who I have had a resentment for, a resentment with. I have prayed for them. Fourteen huh. days, two weeks straight to have to have the best life, to have everything they've ever wanted. And it works. Pray for your enemy. It really, really works. It will feel awkward at first. People say, I don't want to do it. I, I don't like that rotten person. But start praying for them. And then it lightens up your... It lightens your heart, and it makes you feel better.
1: So so tell me about this practically. You started praying for your enemies. Did you actually get to the point where even where you weren't praying, you did want good things to happen to them?
2: Oh, absolutely. A- absolutely. You, it is a It's a psychic change. And alcoholism is very selfish. And recovery from alcoholism is also very selfish. And I had to be... Selfish enough to not want to hurt myself with those negative thought patterns anymore. Uh So I had no other choice but to let them go.
1: Very, very interesting. So what I hear you saying is that one of the keys to a better 2017, a better future, is for us to stop holding on to all the resentment. Stop wishing ill on those who've harmed us. And if you really want to go the extra mile, the way you do that is you actually begin praying for your enemies.
2: It sounded crazy when I it was first suggested to me years ago until I started practicing it, and holy cow, it actually worked.
1: You know, for the person who says, okay, I heard what you said, and some people are just so wounded, they might not be able to do this uh, right away. Some Something terrible has happened to perhaps... Uh, uh, a number of people who are tuning in today, and maybe it's very fresh in their minds. It's not a natural thing at all to really reach out a hand of forgiveness, if you will. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend to some people that they may not be ready to fully embrace that? Or do you say, no, you've got to push through it? Once you realize there's an unforgiving spirit, you've got to address it here and now. Have, have you... Looked into which of those messages is, is more efficacious? It
2: takes some time at first. Oh, I'm still so angry. I can't do it yet. A lot of people initially will have a poor reaction. And then it's either that or it'll wake up with resentment in your heart every day. And again, that pains too much. So there's only really love or hate. So I think the best, the only thing that can overcome hate is love. And what a great way to, to respond to hateful events is to pray for them with love.
1: Well, this is a it's a great message, and uh, it's a message that I think people, regardless of where they come from in their spiritual walk, they're going to say, you know what this this resonates. It's interesting. I was actually, I mean, I didn't know that we'd be speaking about this topic, but I was uh, reviewing some of the material we had researched on the topic of forgiveness, and I found it interesting to read the work of a researcher who was looking at high blood pressure and found that when he had participants who had high blood pressure go through a forgiveness training program, a forgiveness intervention, it actually made dramatic improvements in their blood pressure. And I'm sure if we were to measure things, we'd find it would make dramatic improvements in a whole host of other measurements. Well, Jane... We really want to make sure that folks out there know how to connect with you. I know many of them have been encouraged by what you've shared. I think you've presented a lot of hope, and especially because it's coming from someone who at one point in your life, as you mentioned, it didn't have much hope. Tell us again about the name of your book and how we can get it.
2: The name of the book is Love and Compassion is My Religion, a beginner's book into spirituality. My name is Jane Varthi, Jane J-A-M-E, the last name is Zarcy, Z, the last letter, A-R-F-E. And the website is www.loveandcompassionismyreligion.com.
1: Okay, so if I just needed to remember one thing, if I just wanted to remember one thing, um, how about if I just remembered Zarcy? We, we, have you tried that in Amazon? Does it? Are there a yeah, lot of Zarcys?
2: No, not a lot of Zarcys. <laughs> it's an obscure name. So, yeah, Zarcy's is a good way to go. And my Twitter handle is at Zarcy Jane. And I post a lot of things there.
1: Okay, so at Zarcy, Z A R S E Jane, J A N E. If you remember Zarcy, if you're really good, you can remember Love and Compassion is My Religion. All of those things will get you to the book. Will they get it? Will Any way to reach you, Jane, if someone wanted to engage with you directly?
2: I'm on Facebook. The book has a Facebook page and Twitter. The good old social media routes would be just fine.
1: Okay. Jane, our time has just about slipped away, but before we go, any final messages you'd like to leave with my listeners?
2: Well, it's just how great it is to finally love yourself, it's just to search for true self love, I think, is the key to happiness.
1: Jane, you've definitely given us a lot to think about you're really an inspiration. You're a success story, and you're not just telling a story. You're motivating other people to make changes. Again, that is Jane Zarcy. Her book, Love and Compassion Is My Religion, you can get it on Amazon. Jane has also got a website. If you haven't guessed already, it's loveandcompassionismyreligion.com. Well, for all of us in American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health.
4: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.